0: What does it mean to be one with Christ? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big truths and big story of Scripture. My name is Brian DeBozik, and with me is Aaron Armstrong. Aaron, this week we begin really, I think it's going to be three episodes in a row where we're going to be talking about today, union with Christ. That's, that's kind of the, the doctrine. But then the next two following it are really going to be closely related to this. So we're going to have the same idea running through the next three episodes, these next three doctrines, little different nuances, but the same big idea, who we are in Christ, uh, how has it changed us, and, and that unity with Him. So really going to be uh, helpful. Um, This is something I've been kind of living in, this kind of thinking, this kind of doctrine. I've been living in it for quite a while recently uh, for a project I'm working on and and just becoming more and more convinced that that identity in Christ, which union in Christ is part of that, is something we really need to emphasize more uh, in our discipleship.
1: It really is. And, you know, one of the things that's funny about that is there are some really great works that exist out there about this doctrine and about really the the big idea of our identity um, in Christ. There are great books. There are great Bible studies. There are great sermons. There's great all kinds of things. And yet it is one of these truths that is super neglected. So many of us don't really understand yeah. what it is all about at the end of the day and so with that in mind let's do what we always do which is let's explain this doctrine and um, and then we'll summarize it and then we'll start seeing it in scripture so here is what we've got. Uh, When we talk about union with Christ, this is what we mean. At the heart of our salvation is our union with Christ. The Bible describes salvation as entering into a covenant relationship with God and also describes the church, which is made up of believers, as the bride of Christ. Christians believe that Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. That's the idea of Christ in us and that we are simultaneously dwelling in him. This union is... Indissoluble, it will last for all eternity. Okay, so if we wanted to summarize this super simply and as concisely as we can, this is how we would do that. As believers, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. That is what it means to be united with Christ.
0: Definitely, and you can see why this is a doctrine, and I'm again, I'm becoming more and more convinced of it. It is so important, and it's often overlooked that that idea. You just summarized it at the end, um, and what that means, the fullness of it, how it impacts our identity, how it impacts how we live, and so forth. So many important um, ripples from this one. So let's look at where we see this in Scripture. We see uh, a few places. We're going to list today. Um, And some of these, again, in our next couple episodes, there's going to be some overlap. We're going to come back and revisit some of these because, uh, again, a lot of our doctrines, and and anybody who's been listening for a while understands, they're not clean and tidy in separate boxes. Um, You can't pull out your doctrine of the union of Christ and then put it back and open up another one. It's completely different. They overlap so often. So the first place we see this, or one of several places, is 2 Corinthians 11.2, where we read about the church being the bride of Christ, and again, that idea of being united as a, as a husband and wife, that, that metaphor that Scripture uses. And we see there, uh, Paul writes, "For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. And again, that's 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Another one is Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Um, And this one is where we see really Paul using that idea of one flesh, one body, that we become one in that way with Christ. So he's using the marriage metaphor again. He says, wives submit to your, well, not the metaphor at the beginning, he's actually giving instructions, but wives submit to your husband as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of His body." For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. So again, we see there really clearly and fleshed out this metaphor that Paul has in mind of uh, our relationship with Christ being akin to that of a husband and
1: wife. Yeah, and even in this passage, um, you know, in these two passages, this this picture of the covenant relationship is super important. And one of the things that we've really got to be careful to do here is when we're looking at this this metaphor of the bride of Christ, we don't want to major in the minors here. So, um, first off, yes, a hundred percent, there are um, there are some very clear things that are that are important in here um, about, about marital relationships and how roles and responsibilities work. And they're all interconnected and intertwined in these ideas of, of submission and love and, and all of these kinds of things. But one of these key things that's super important in is in verse 29 and 30. And so I'm really glad that you, that you read it out this whole thing because it says, for no one ever hates his own flesh but provides and cares for it just as the body does for the church since we are members of his body and so we have to focus there that's the major in this section this is that big e on the on on the eye chart uh, if you will um, and if you'll forgive that cliche but but we have to focus there we have to pay attention we can't neglect that because if we do, we miss the point we miss the this essential nature that union with christ has this 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 loving connection and um and that's and the 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 metaphor gets lost and not just the metaphor but the actual picture of what's going on and so we have to hold on to it now, that takes us to the other verses that we want to talk about. So we've talked about this idea of um, the covenant aspect of it, but um, there's that other aspect of, of Christ dwelling in us. And so a couple of passages there that that, that dig into that are um, Ephesians 3, 16 and 17 and Colossians 1. Twenty-seven, and so here is what they here's what they say. Uh, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's Ephesians three. Colossians one um, takes a very similar stance, and and in many ways kind of doubles down on on this idea in in a greater degree. Um, this idea of Christ dwelling within us uh, by saying that God wanted to make known the gen- uh, among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so in many respects, what he is doing here is, is he's functionally saying that this is the gospel or this is the fruit of the gospel. This is the point of the gospel. Um, is It's not um not simply uh, a matter of salvation from sin although that is that is central to it it's it's that Christ and and us that that through faith we are united as one and so we see that again in Colossians 3 1 through four um where he actually even still goes one step further that it's not just Christ within us that Christ is is our life and so we see this in uh starting in verse one so if you've been raised with christ seek the things above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your mind on things above not on earthly things for you died and your life is hidden with christ in god and when christ who is your life appears then you will also appear with him in glory so just as a a quick side note um you know we uh, we so often hear the, these phrases like um, you know you know don't be so heavenly minded that you can be uh, no earthly good and so instead what we see here is as paul immediately refuting that and saying uh, the best way that you can be earthly of any earthly good the most essential thing that you can do is to be in a very appropriate way to be heavenly minded um, because our lives are hidden with christ and christ is our life and so that is that is the depth of this union that uh, paul speaks to and that scripture speaks to that we are Christ. Christ is ours. We are united in Him, so much so that our entire lives are about Him.
0: Yeah, and that's, that really takes us to the first uh, caution or area that we need to kind of make sure is clear as we seek to understand this doctrine. And and we said it before, and, and it dovetails on what you just said, but this is an important part of the gospel. Being in Christ is, is not... Um, an aside. It is really rooted deeply into what the gospel means. Uh, Paul mentions this quite extensively. That phrase, in Christ, is a little bit more Pauline. If you search scripture, he uses it quite extensively. I don't know exclusively, but at least he uses it uh, largely. Um, and and the quantity of his use of it just affirms, this is something that matters, Uh when, when one of the rules of thumb, again, as we're looking at Scripture is, everything's important, of course. All of Scripture is inspired and profitable. But when we see something that's repeated, that should draw our attention even closer to it. What is going on here? It's important enough to be repeated. So the repetition alone matters and clues us in that this is important. And so when we think of the gospel, we don't just think of of how the gospel saves us from judgment, which it does, but it also does more than that. It joins us together with Christ, and we are in Christ. We have this unity we're talking about, and it's so important uh, that we remember that.
1: Yeah. And so uh, the the next thing that um, we should understand out of this really is that, um, you know, as, as you could tell even from these passages that we read, that... Union, union with Christ is not a, um, is not a small thing. It is a very, like when you think about it as a concept in, as it's presented in scripture, um, and even then remembering the word concept here does not mean that it is a, some kind of fiction or novel idea. I'm using concept as in, this is a true thing, but it's a broader, um, but it's, but it's a broader idea. Um, this really is a broad idea. This is a broad concept in Scripture. So, um, but that doesn't mean that it's nebulous. It doesn't mean that um, that there isn't anything that we can't know about it. Um, we've heard just a little bit about it, but um, and and it's really important that we read Scripture and read the commands that that God gives us. We we. We explore the Bible um, as carefully as we can, so that um, we can see that although yes, this there are mysteries within this um, that as as we um, as we add basically to the to the bo- like add meat to the bones of it through reading Scripture through studying Scripture through um, the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, we get to see that, that while complex, this is a beautiful and wonderful doctrine that shapes everything about us, really. Um, it shapes our core identity. It shapes um, our security, particularly the sense of our eternal secure, <laughs> security and position within the family of, of God. Um, it shapes how we live Right now, today, I mean, we can't we can't forget that um, Paul started uh, Colossians three basically refuting the the note, the the notion that um, that there's such a thing as being uh, so heavenly minded that you can be of no earthly good. Instead, he basically says the only way to be any kind of earthly good is to be heavenly minded. Um, And that's where our focus is to be. Um, and then it shapes our, and then finally it shapes our unity with the church as well. So it's, so, um, every good and true doctrine well, and really every doctrine period. Um, and they're all, if they're from scripture, they're all good and true doctrines. There's my, there's my lovely little caveat there, but, um, (laughs) uh, but every single thing that we do and say... Everything that we believe has um, has a vertical orientation, so between us and God, and also works itself out horizontally, as in so between us and other people. And we cannot miss that, that there yeah. is no such thing as a doctrine that is just about us personally, or us and God personally. Everything works out in community.
0: Definitely. I think the third thing that um, this, the note that we should have about this doctrine as we understand it is that being in Christ, this unity with Christ, is coupled closely with being image bearers. Um, and again, we're, we're going to talk about this more when we talk about identity in Christ. Again, these these overlap so much, but I think we it would help be helpful to talk about it here. So think with me to creation. Um, in Genesis one and two, we were created as image bearers. We we bear the image of God. We are not exactly as God is, of course, but we were made mm-hmm. in certain ways to be like Him and to reflect Him in creation. But as we know, sin messed that up, uh, and we do not image God as we should. We all still retain that image, but it has been marred. Some people like to use that word. It has been distorted. Um, hidden, however you want to say it, it's still there. We, we respect and love all people because all people still bear that image of God, even unbelievers. But when we trust in Christ, what happens is we're able to grow in imaging God again as we should. So we're capable of being who God made us to be in the first place. So being in Christ, uniting, uniting with Christ is critical to our identity um, it's not an addition to it. it. It is at the core of who we are. So where this matters is here. We don't tack on Christian to our identity. So when we, when we trust in Christ, you think about who you were before that moment, that nanosecond. And then as soon as you trust in Christ, you don't just add Christian. You don't add that suitcase to the rest of your luggage. And so, well, mm-hmm. now I'm this, this, and this, but I'm also Christian. No, the gospel says we're radically changed. And those other... Suitcases to use that analogy, I don't know where it came from, but to use that analogy, they, they don't stop existing. I don't stop being male, for example, um, but the primary way I'm identified is as, as Christ, being in Christ, united with him. And so all those other, uh, all those other ways to recognize who I was become secondary at mm-hmm. best, Some we do have to dismiss completely. For example, part of my identity before Christ is as sinner. I still sin when I'm a Christian, but that's no longer part of my identity. I am now righteous. So some of those we have to dismiss completely and put away and say, no, that's no longer true of me. But many other ways, uh, you know, I'm male, uh, I'm an American, for example, and uh, I'm a -hmm. a husband and father. Those all still matter, but they're not primary. So as we understand union in Christ, it affects who we are. It affects how we live in obedience, the true nature of being able to image Christ again or image God again. Um, When we sin in Christ, we're actually living as frauds. That's not who we really are. Uh, Mm -hmm. When we obey, that's who we really are. And so this flip, it's a totally reversal from before Christ and in Christ is so important that we understand. And that
1: really leads us into the difference that this doctrine should make and... um, and there are a couple of big ideas, and I'll just share them both uh, by way of summary. And uh, but uh, the first of these two is that um, this this truth, our union with Christ, should be a great sense of joy, hope, and relief for us. And you know, sometimes it sounds like we're we're a bit of a broken record. Whenever we get to the difference that this that a doctrine should make, we usually reference the fact that a doctrine should give us hope and joy uh, relief, comfort, all of these things. The reason that we do that is because it's true. (laughs) And, uh, so it's not a broken record kind of thing that's going on here. It's just really important. Um, and so, and, and in this sense, what, what it means and how it offers these things is that, um, it means that we don't have to worry about measuring up because that's not the point. Um, we are in Christ, which means, therefore, we do measure up because of Christ. Because Christ measured up for us, and Christ is us, and Christ is our life. So, therefore, we're we're good from that perspective. Now, here's now again, lots of caveats here, of course, because we're all about the caveats on this show. Um, but that does not, again, does not mean that we ignore. Um, that we we ignore God's clear commands and that we live however we want, and I mean that speaks to what you were talking yes. about, Brian. Living as frauds, um, and if we think that we can live however we want in terms of I'm free to sin as boldly as I and brazenly as I want to, um, well, that does mean you're being a fraud, but it means you're being a fraud about your your belief that you yes. are in Christ. Um, and so we would encourage, repent and believe the gospel. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so that's one, that's one piece. Now here's the other thing. Um, you know, I mentioned at the, the top of the show that, um, there are actually a lot of really good books and resources and studies and, um, you know, sermons and all kinds of things on this singular topic. It has been, um, it has been mined really profoundly and really helpfully by a lot of people, but it's also one that we still manage to neglect um, quite a bit. We tend to like we tend to overlook those things partly because we see, as we talked about earlier, this this whole idea of the the because it is a broad concept. Um, we don't take the time to go and dig deep and so we neglect this doctrine to and we do it to our detriment if we take the time to see okay who am i who am i in jesus that is an incredible thing that is that that it changes us and it changes so profoundly and so we need to yep. embrace that we need to own it and we need to say okay let's let's understand this to the best of our ability, not just individually, but, but in community.
0: Definitely. Let's wrap it up there because that's a good place to stop. And, and again, also, this, this is going to feel in many ways like part one of three, at least, um, as we roll into our next episode, because next time we are talking about the doctrine of new identity of the believer. And so again, it's going to a lot of overlap. So let's just call it there, uh, maybe save a little bit of new ideas that we can present next episode as well. I do want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.